Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here you know, as we go into the season of uh, vacation and, and we're out of school. Sometimes during this time, our, our seats become a little empty, but it's good to see almost all the seats are taken up at this nine o'clock service. I love, I love the early morning service because you all are dedicated because you all had to get up somewhat early. And I don't know if you're like me, but I like to sleep in. Hey, I'm not John Allen. I'm not your pastor. Uh, I'm just rich. I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm just a partner here, and if you're, uh, if you're visiting with us today, what do we mean by partner? We're, we're not a law firm. Uh, that's what we mean by, by members. Uh, we, in Risen Church, we're partners because we partner in ministry together. We're not members. We're not joining a club. We're not paying dues. We're all called to serve, so we serve together as partners, and I'm just one of those uh, able to fill in for John. John's up uh, preaching at uh, Cross Point Church up in Williamsburg this morning. So uh, their pastor came down and, and preached for us a couple of months ago, and so he's repaying that, and he's given me the opportunity, called me up off the, the bullpen to come in and, and bring the word this morning. And we're going to continue our series, so we're not going to go off the tracks, so we're going to stay on the path. Uh, we're going to continue in our series of Firmly Established uh, in Colossians. If you haven't been with us before, we, we're walking through Colossians verse by verse, and this is probably the fourth or the fifth, I can't remember, Dave, how many have we done now? A lot. It's the next one, exactly. I've got the next one. So, and firmly established in your series in Colossians. So, if you've got a paper Bible like I still have up here, if you'll turn to that book, find it. If you can't find it, there's a great table of contents in the fronts where I find all those minor prophets like Zephaniah. You know, those hard ones to find, that's how I find them. Or if you've got the Glow version, go ahead and tap in to find the book of Colossians. So we're talking about our series, Firmly Established, and our anchor verse, the pivotal verse of which we're, we're looking at in this series, is actually about to come up next week. My job is to get us to that point. I can't take you there yet, but I'll read the verse to you. It says, therefore, this is, a, this is the foundation of this series. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. That's a pretty good little vision statement. We're going to get there, but we need to continue to set the scene for you. So today, we're going to look at Colossians 2, verses 1 through 5. And for those who are like me and that font's really small, it's Colossians chapter 2, 1 through 5. And we're going to talk about being mature in Christ. Now, some of you may think, well, wait a minute, that's what we talked about last week, mature in Christ. And it, that's right, because in this these set of verses, you'll see ties in to perfectly what the verses we talked about last week in chapter 1, verses 23 through 29, about maturing in Christ. This is the part 2. When Paul wrote this letter, he didn't have chapter and verse uh, divisions. He just wrote it. And so we're breaking this apart. We're going to look at mature in Christ this morning. So as you're turning, but before we get there, I want to take you all back to the year 1960. Was anybody in here alive in 1960? Maybe somebody's afraid to raise their hand. I wasn't, but I read about 1960. Um, there's this little football team, unknown football team, called the Green Bay Packers. Anybody heard of them? Yeah, okay, all right, all right. Green Bay Packers, if you, if you know Packers history, 1960, they have this fairly new coach. It's in his second year. His name was Vince Lombardi. You may have heard of him. If you're not a football fan, you have no idea who I'm talking about, and that's okay. Just follow me. Vince Lombardi ended up being the greatest NFL coach ever. He takes his team in his second year with the team to the NFL playoff. Playoff game, which we now know is the Super Bowl. It morphed into it. But 1960 wasn't called the Super Bowl. It was the NFL playoff because there were actually two different football leagues. But that's another story. You play in the Philadelphia Eagles. 
and they're winning. Second year on the team, he's in the championship, and they're winning all the way through the third quarter. They go into the fourth quarter. Philadelphia gets the ball, and they run the clock down, and they score. Now they're, now they're down. And they only have a very short amount of time to go all the way down the field and score and win the game. So any of you all watch the Super Bowl, it's exciting, right? So they, they go down the field. Unfortunately, they made some mistakes. They made some mistakes on defense prior to taking the ball, and then they made a lot of mistakes on offense. And they end up losing the game. So if you've ever watched the, the Super Bowl and you see the losing team, they're distraught because they've worked their entire life to get to this state, and they lose that pivotal game. Months later, they're back together. They're starting a training camp, and maybe some of y'all heard this story, so don't give it away for me. They're back in training camp. Vince Lombardi, the, the fairly new freshman kind of sophomore coach at this point, he comes into the, into the locker room, has all these professional football players. He walks in, he takes a football, he picks it up, and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. And he describes this weird-shaped ball. And what he's saying to them, to this group of professionals who have been playing with this particular ball since they're probably 8, 9, 10, or 12 years old, these professional men, he's saying we need to get back to the basics, the fundamentals of the game. Because if, as you think about it, that's why we lost the, the playoff. He said we need to become brilliant in the, in the basics. And he did that to set the fundamentals first and to bring them together as a, as a team, a cohesive team, to play this game. Now, this is not unlike life, and you'll see how we jump into that. Now, what's the rest of the story? Six months later, after Vince Lombardi says, gentlemen, this is a football, they are back at the NFL championship game. This time, they're playing the New York Giants, the team which Vince Lombardi was the assistant coach. So he's back, he's playing his old guys. And they beat the New York Giants that year 37-0. to zero. So in a matter of 11 months, they go from losing, making fundamental eras, to dominating 37-0. to zero. This team would go on through the 1960s to win seven NFL championships or Super Bowls. Seven in eight years. Vincent Vardy being the greatest coach because they were fundamental in the basics. Teamwork. Applying simple ideas that are deeply understood. We need to do that as Christians as well. We need to go to the basics and understand Simple ideas, we need to understand them deeply and come together as a team. You may have heard the united we stand but divided we fall quote. I want to change that this morning. I want you to think about united in Christ, we will stand. But if we're divided in love, we're going to fall. Many of you may have watched the news. We've had a pivotal point in our country this week. And I, I was thinking about not even mentioning it, but I will, because our country has a division right now. And I, I want to challenge you to think of how should we respond to this Supreme Court decision from a Christian viewpoint, from a Christian worldview. Right now you see that our country is becoming divided. It's becoming divided not because of truth, but because of talking points. So how, we, how should we respond as Christians? We should respond in love. We should stand up for the goodness and rightness and protection of innocence. And we should love those who have different opinions about that. We should not be judgmental. We should not be violent. We should be loving. But we should also stand our ground. What, what do you believe? That's some fundamentals carried out very simply in a very chaotic and confusing situation. So we'll pray about that a little bit more later. So in our context, and 
Uh, Colossians, I want to kind of bring you up to speed if you haven't been with us or you haven't been reading Colossians. Uh, what's going on? Uh, for those in my community group, this may be a little bit of a repeat, and I'm sorry, but you're going to hear it again. But I think it's very important as we look at this scripture to understand what is going on in this letter. This is a letter from Paul to this small little church. What's going on in this culture? Where, where is this church? It's in the little town of Colossae, which we now know as eastern Turkey. It's down in this valley, this lush valley with a river running through it. And this river ran all the way down to the seacoast about 100, 120 miles away to this little town called Ephesus. And in that town, Paul planted a church, and he was their pastor for a couple years. And while he was there, he built disciples, and he made disciples, as the text and Jesus said to do. And one of those disciples, his name was Epaphras. He's in the beginning of this book, and he's at the end of this book. And we know that Epaphras was from Colossae, and we think he probably went back to his hometown and started a church. He's doing exactly what God has called us to do, to expand the gospel by our own work. Well, this little town's in this valley. There's a couple of little cities around them, uh, and it's a major road. It's in a valley. So there's a road the Romans have built east to west. It's a major area of commerce to go from the goods of the east down to the water port of Ephesus and off to the other parts of the world. So there's a lot of travelers. It's multicultural, but it's a very small little town. It's agricultural. But what's interesting about this little town, there's two other towns. One of them's called Laodicea, which is mentioned a couple of times in the book. It's also in the book of Revelation, and Heropolis. Now, we, haven't, we don't know much about Colossae itself because they have not excavated it. You can see some pictures of this big mound, but they haven't dug into it. But they did Heropolis next door. And what they found in Heropolis was it, was it was lavish. It was opulent. It had a lot of money because of the wealth in the area from the minerals and the agriculture. But also, Heropolis had some hot springs. So people would go there for some healing. And they found temples to various roaming gods and polytheism. You can imagine anything like that. And during those times, they're going to build a temple to worship it, whatever it is, and they're going to create a god. We know in Colossae, there's a river running very close to it, but there was also some cold springs in Colossae. So we can assume there was probably some temples there for the healing of the, or the refreshment of the cold water because you've got the Roman and the Greek world. So they're, they're living in, a, in an area that's got all these different ideas about religion and a culture and, and truth. So these people, these young Christians, are now trying to decide what is truth. What in this philosophy of life of answering the big questions of who am I, who is God, and what am I to do? And they're getting in the bombarded from all kinds of different directions. And my point to you today, this, this context of Colossae is no different than us today. For they lived at the crossroads of commerce. People traveling in and out, crossroads of ideas. Our American culture, we're indeed kind of the global economy. We're a major superpower in the world, and we've got all kinds of ideas running in our country, but we're also very global. So we have that cross-cultural thing going on in our country as well. So really no different, but that causes a problem because it, it causes us to think of, well, if God says he's God, but other people saying he's not God, and Jesus says he's a savior, and people say there's all kinds of ways to heaven, which one am I to, be to believe? And Paul is telling Colossae, go back to the foundation of which you know. What has God told you? What has he revealed to your life? What has he showed to you through scripture, through his prophets? And he's telling us the very same thing today. There, they had temples of different gods, so the hot springs and the cold springs. We have different temples here in our country, don't we? I just talked about one, football. 
Think about, think about the temples we have to football. Think about these huge stadiums in, the, in, in, our, in our country. Put 100,000 people in there screaming and painting their face and acting like fools. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a worship thing, right? I remember I had a neighbor who uh, lived across the street from me, and, and we were stationed in Hawaii. And there, there's no air conditioning most places, so your doors are open. And I could hear him every Sunday and Monday. He was watching football. He was in there worshiping some football. He was having some, he was having some kind of out-of-body experience watching his football. He was very charismatic in his NFL. There's some gods there. And I'm not bashing any of those things. They're fun to watch in entertainment, but are they your gods? Maybe some of you are not, you're not uh, uh, sports-focused. Maybe you're social media-focused. Maybe your whole identity is tied to what is in, your, in the hand of your iPhone or your smartphone. You're being manipulated by culture. There's some couple of documentaries out there I recommend for you to watch. Check, see me afterwards. I'll show some to you. Or maybe some of your, uh, some of your gods in your life are, are your friends that you, you can't do without. And we need friendship. We're going to talk about that. But are they taking the place of your assurance and, and security in life? Maybe for some of you, it's, it's that uh, hedonistic idea, uh, and this is kind of the American culture. We do not like discomfort, do we? I know some of you all right now are sitting in those chairs thinking, these are the most uncomfortable chairs I've ever sat in in church, right? These little banquet chairs, those little wooden backs. I may have thought that sitting here. We like our comfort, don't we? We like our, our massage therapy. We like our manis and petties. We like our lattes, the perfect temperature. That's our culture, isn't it? And when it's not, we're like, oh my gosh, my, my latte's not what it's supposed to be. They put they took two, two splinters, I was supposed to have three. Struggles, right? You're all laughing, but we're all kind of there. We like comfort. Think about your medicine cabinet. How many bottles of Tylenol, ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and you name any of those over-the-counter stuff do we have to make ourselves, the instant we start to feel a little different, oh, maybe I need to take something like the God of comfort in our lives. No different than the Colossians. They wanted comfort too. They liked their cold springs. They liked to go to Heropolis and get warm. Colossae was a new church. Epaphras, this one guy, went and started this small church in the middle of this vast multicultural area. Risen Church is kind of a new church in the vast of this multicultural area, right? Many of y'all driving in off Virginia Beach across some of the roads there where there's different kinds of slogans on the buildings and different ways of thinking about life coming to our small church. So we're under the same, not really attack, but we're competing ideas. We're surrounded by a multicultural community and a mix of philosophy just like the Colossians. And then there's the idea of truth. When Jesus Christ is standing before Pilate and he's being questioned, Pilate, we walk, we walk through this when we were going to John, they're having this conversation, and Jesus said to Pilate, For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. And John records that Pilate looks at Jesus and says, Ask the, the most sad question ever What is truth? So the people in Colossae are dealing with this idea of what is truth, and it's no different for us today. Today it sounds like when you talk to your friends or you've watched the, uh, the I love I like watching the interviews of the person on the street and they ask them simple questions, right? <laughs> questions like, what is you know, sunlight and what is two plus two or what is a man, what is a woman, right? 
what is truth. And what you often hear now, right, in our culture today, we're battling against is, well, that's my truth. Your truth is not my truth, and how can you enforce your truth on me? And the problem is we attach the personal pronoun to truth. And the, the definition of truth has to be outside of us as God's defined in his holy scriptures. That's where truth is. And when you put a personal pronoun to it, now you've made it yours, and now you become the arbiter and the judge and the definer, and that you will judge other people against. And Paul's warning Colossae, hey, you need to look to the truth, the way, and the life. Follow them. Don't get pulled away. He's also, in Colossians, he's addressing lots of different philosophies, lots of different heresies. We see a little bit of that in chapter 1. He doesn't come right out and say it. He kind of hints at it. In chapter 1, he talks about preeminence of Christ. And he says that Jesus is the mystery of Christ sent to us to remove us from the domain of darkness and transform us into the kingdom of his light. And he's preeminent in all things. Paul's talking about that there is no other gods, that Jesus is fully sufficient and fully supreme. Here in our verses, we're getting ready to read, and I keep referring to him. We're getting there. He's going to go open the door a little bit more. He's going to see the, the, really the first kind of finger point that Paul's going to do at the culture. And he's going to poke his finger at what's called Gnosticism. There's lots of different versions out there, but Gnosticism comes from a Greek word that literally means knowledge or understanding. And the idea of this heresy is, yeah, you can have your religion or all that kind of stuff, but the way to really be spiritual and to really have eternal whatever that is in that religion is you've got to know more. And there's this secret hidden knowledge. And the more you get into the club, the more knowledge is going to be revealed to you. Or there's special ways and rituals you go through, and then you'll be supernaturally imputed with this idea of what reality is. But it's hidden. You can't see it. And Paul's going to poke the finger in that really hard here in our verses, and I hope you see it. Today, there is a major religion in our, in our world. I don't want to be mean, but they talk about being enlightened. The secret knowledge, and it, it comes supernaturally. God is saying that enlightenment comes through Christ and Christ alone. So that's what I want us to look at as we dig into chapter 2. But last week, as I said, we're going to tie last week's message in today. Last week, John, our pastor, not John the Apostle, discussed that Paul's vision, when you go back and read 24 through 26, his focus and mission in life was to produce mature followers of Christ through pursuit of faithfulness communion with God. And that faithfulness communion will produce an overabundance of fruitfulness for God's glory and not our own. So rely upon his power we become to the knowledge of Christ, we will grow individually and work out your gifts and let those expand so that you can produce fruit, love, joy, peace, kindness, for God's glory. John talked about the what. What are, we, what are we to do to make disciples, to be mature disciples in Christ so that we can influence and mentor others. He talked about the why, that's to see the hope in Christ. In the Christ, he talked about tabernacling with us, so living with us and us in him. And he talked about the why, I'm sorry, the how. How do we do that? And Paul says he's toiling and he's struggling. He's working hard, but he's doing it through God's power, not his own. He's not trying to earn his own salvation. He's relying upon God's power to bring him to a point that he can make disciples that make disciples. So he's talking really about how do you grow individually. 
with Christ. How do you mature? Today, in our text, what you're going to see is, it, is Paul's going to have the same theme, growing in Christ, understanding that he's, Christ is fully sufficient. This is the mystery. This is the Old Testament plan finally, finally revealed to us. And he's going to say, now individually grow. Now I want you to grow corporately together. Because this togetherness is vitally important because there's dangerous times that are coming. So the big idea, let's look at the big idea. Kind of, kind of small. Sorry. All right, the main idea today. The main idea of this text. If you get nothing else, you completely tune out. If you like watching the boats, that's okay. If you get nothing else, I want you to understand this text is showing us that the truth of Jesus Christ is your way to abundance and maturity. The truth in Jesus Christ is your way to abundance and mercy. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, that sounds kind of self-centered. Usually our main ideas are more about God. Well, if you look at it, it says the truth of Jesus Christ is the way you get to maturity. I'm using that word abundance for a reason. Before we look at the text, I want you to have one thing in mind. Paul's writing, he has this in mind. In John chapter 10, Jesus has, is teaching, and he's talking about being the good shepherd. And he says, I'm a good shepherd, and I will protect my sheep. I will lay my life down for my sheep. My sheep know me. They know my voice. And think about sheep, they're, they're not really smart. They, they will wander off and get eaten by wolves. We're sheep. We've got to stick close to the shepherd. And Jesus says, I will lay my life down for that sheep. Because there is another. There is someone else who wants to come into the gate of the sheepfold, and it's the thief. What do thieves do? He said thieves, they steal, kill, and destroy. That's the only purpose of a thief. The thief is going to come in. He's going to sound like the shepherd. He's going to look like the shepherd. He's not going to come in with you know, a pitchfork and, a, and, a, and horns and a red tail. He's going to look like the shepherd. He's going to sound like the shepherd, but he's not the shepherd. He's just a one degree off. And his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But Jesus said, I came that they, you, may have two things, life and life more abundantly. So have that context as we read the text this morning. So let's bring up uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So Paul continues on from his uh, conversation from last week. Uh, we read 24 through 29. 29 says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, and that he powerfully works within me, and that he picks it up with this. And he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, that was another town there, and for all who have not seen me face to face. So the struggle is, he's working, he's teaching, he's admonishing, he's praying, that their hearts may be in, encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reading of these words. Father, how powerful they can be to work in our lives. We, 
We just praise you for the preservation of this letter from one of your servants to your church. Father, I ask that this morning you help us to make application of these and how can they tie into our lives here presently today that we may be encouraged, we may understand some of the things you have us to do, we may come to a better understanding of who Christ is and how we can find salvation in him. As we walk through the rest of our time, Lord, I ask you to, to guide our minds and our hearts and our thoughts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, what I want you to see, besides the big idea of Jesus, the truth of Jesus is your way to abundance. So you see Jesus came to give you life and more abundantly. So this is how you do it. It's how you do it in community. He's the way to your abundance and your maturity because he needs us to grow up a little bit because that thief is coming. That thief is actually already here. It's already among us because it's culture and it's evil coming after us. But he lays out three parts of Godway's path to growth and assurance. I'm going to talk about abundance and maturity, growth and assurance kind of all together. So I want to do it in the terms of a path. So we're walking down a path towards maturity. So the path, three things. The pathway is not single track. You may be wondering, what's he mean by that? We'll get to it. We'll talk about the destination of the pathway and the purpose of the pathway. So number one, the pathway is not single track. What I want you to see out of verses two and three, this abundance and connection and community is required. It's not a solo event. Verses in chapter 1, the last couple of verses, he says, I want you to grow in Christ individually, and now I want you to grow together. This is the idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love who? Your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? That's asked by some of the disciples. Who's your neighbor? What I want you to do is look to your left or your right and tell someone, you're my neighbor. You're my neighbor. Sometimes some of us think of literally our neighbor next door in our, ha- in our neighborhoods or in your apartment complex. Yes, they're your neighbor. Who else is your neighbor? It's the person parked next to you outside. It's the person you run into. It's everybody around you are your neighbors. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. So this is how we do it. It's pretty simple. Let's bring up the next picture. What do I mean by single track? Okay, so uh, my wife and I like to do some hiking. And on the right side, and for those of you who are listening online, you can't see the picture, but what I have is a picture of a trail and a lady walking down the trail, and it's only wide enough for one person to walk down that trail. Is there anything wrong with out walking by yourself or walking with a bunch of friends? No, it's all good stuff. But if you walk that trail, where, where are your friends at? You're either in front of you or behind you. You've got to be single file, right? That's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But how connected can you be when you're walking in front of and behind somebody. And you can talk, but you don't have eye contact. And there's so many nonverbals of what we do. And God is saying, hey, I don't want you to be solely by yourself. I need you in community. So the second picture I have is a wider trail. And you've got a mom and a dad and a kid walking side by side. In the other picture, I couldn't find one that had a mom and a, and a, and a kid. But imagine there is, a, there is a, <laughs> a little kid with their mom walking behind them. How connected would they be? Versus how connected they are in the second one, where they're holding hands. There's something magical about doing life together. And that's what Paul's getting at. Because if you're by yourself, the thief is coming. If you're together, there's more, there's more safety in numbers. But some of you are, I know, might be thinking, I kind of like being by myself. I'm kind of comfortable in that. I'm kind of an introvert. 
I like my privacy. That's okay. We all need our alone time. God is saying, just don't, don't make that your God. Last week, John, our, our pastor, had a great quote, and I love this. He, he said that God doesn't drag us into relationship. He draws us in. So if you're one of those very private uh, persons, I just ask you to give, give him time. Show up and be present. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. We're a church of community groups. We're not a church with community groups. We have community groups. We meet outside of this building on Sunday to do life together. We're doing dual track walking together. Some of you may be like, yeah, I don't have time. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel open. Just show up. Show up and just say hi. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, a church is not a building. I mean, this is not built as a church. The church is you all. And we're members of the body. He literally talks about a physical body. Each one of us is part of this body. He says some of us, some of us are shoulders and some of us are feet and some of us are hips. But if you're a hand meant to tie into the body and you're not showing up or you're not engaging, whoever's the arm can't do what they need to do. He's calling you to engage, to fulfill his mission of making disciples, make disciples to bring him glory, which is called maturity. And it's called having life and having life more abundantly here. Then, uh, back in COVID, one thing that uh, came out all over the place when our government said you couldn't get together to worship, which is a whole other problem for another day, we came up with this idea of online church. Some churches were doing it before, but it kind of exploded during COVID, and I'm thankful for it because my wife and I sat in our house when we couldn't meet, and we were able to still attend church. The problem with that is we get lazy, right? We like our comfort, remember? It's, it's so cool to just kind of get up and stay in your jammies and hang out with your pets and go to church, right? Online. Well, I would submit as long as we're able to come together to do an online church, although sometimes in certain situations it may be necessary, that's, that's watching a program. That's no different than watching a documentary on TV. You're not engaging with people. Again, you're not the hand connecting in with the body. You may be learning, and that's good, but that's solo track. God's calling us to do life dual track. A third part of you may, who may be resistant to community is you may, have, you may have some hurts or some pain or some fear. You may have what I call some PTCS, not PTSD, PTCS, post-traumatic church syndrome. Many of you have come out of a church where you've been hurt. You may have been felt betrayed. And you may feel like, I just need to sit in the back and just be. And that's okay for a period of time. Continue to look for a church and a location and a place where people come together. As we read, their hearts are knitted together in community. And realize that it wasn't church that hurt you. It's people. It's fallen people who need God's grace and salvation and redemption that hurt you. Remember what God says in Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So if you're in that situation, talk to one of us, work it out with somebody. And if this is not the place for you, we'll help you find a place you can plug in and grow in the body of Christ. The last category who may be resistant to a community is it's just not timing, it's not the right season in your life. Maybe you've got small little kids. Maybe your job is overwhelming to you. Or you're, you're on a sports team and you just can't meet with a community group 
on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night. Or maybe you're, you've got you know, nine kids under five and you and your spouse are really struggling just to survive. My challenge to you is find a way you can plug in with other adults in your same phase in life. And that may have to be that you do it separately as couples for a season. But plug into a community group. Plug into a group of people. Maybe it's to join our new DNA group. Let's get information at our resource table. Where you're meeting with small, smaller groups of one or two people. Maybe you take care of the kids while she goes and vice versa. Plug in and get on a dual track with some, somebody else. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. Look at them again with me. To grow in maturity, you need that confidence in your faith. You need encouragement. He has a great struggle, Paul. He's praying for, in verse 1, for you and the Laodicea and all those who hadn't seen him face to face. What's he's praying for? That their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. Coming together in love. Now, let me explain this to you. What he's talking about here is being knit together in love is not the, hey, man, I love you, bro. We're friends. That's not the love he's talking about. The word he uses here for love is agape love. It's that self-sacrificing, completely 100% selfless love. This is the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. He wants us to mature into this. This love doesn't happen like this. This love takes time. And it takes immersion in people to where you start to see people through God's eyes. And the only way you can do that is if you're walking with them and you start to truly see them for who they are and their struggles. God says, I want you to be knitted together in agape love, the same love that the God of the universe humbly wrapped himself in flesh and then went to the cross willingly for the, to, re, to redeem the whole world. But not only the whole world, but for you. For all of your sins, past, present, and future. That's the love that he wants us to be knitted together in in this chapter. And he says, Colossae, this takes time and this takes maturity. I need you to grow into it. And you grow into it by being together as you study the word together so that you can come to, look at the verse of the verse. So that you get the understanding, get the riches of full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. There's this mysterium, this mystery he's mentioned several times. And that mystery is Christ, the revealed nature of God's plan, and also are hidden all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And a few minutes ago, I talked about he's going to poke an eye at Gnosticism, right? Did y'all just hear it? This is not secret knowledge. It is a mystery, but this is the mystery it's now revealed. It's open to everybody. He's saying, read my, read my Old Testament, the, the, the predictions and the, um, what's the word for it? Can't think of the word, lost me. It's all the things they said about the Messiah. And they came true in this one man, this one time, in this one place. It's been revealed now. Now what, we've, what they thought was that Jesus was going to come back as this conquering king or the Messiah was going to come as this conquering king and now all things are going to be great and wonderful and the Romans are going to be kicked out, but it didn't quite happen that way. He came as a suffering servant. So we're in the middle of the, he's here, but it's not fully fulfilled yet. We're waiting for his return as the conquering king. So this mystery revealed in time, and it will bring you the full assurance of his understanding and loves and love. This is a team sport. 
You can't do it on your own because remember, the thief is out there. A couple weeks ago, I was watching, uh, flipping through, you know, some documentaries. I like watching some documentaries, and I found this one on canines. It was really cool because we have a dog, and they were talking about all kinds of different dogs. And ultimately, it's kind of like the old um, uh, safari stuff because you know what happens when you talk about predators and you've got the non-predators. Something's going to happen, right? It's entertaining. So they end up talking about this wolf pack and how this wolf pack together hunts. And they, they, they found some food, and they're going to go out and get this food, but they had these little pups. And they showed them. They had them on video, and they're really cute. Look like you want to play with them, hold them, but they are wolves. And the pack took the younger wolves, basically the teenagers of the day, and said, hey, they left them back. They, their job was to take care and protect the pups while the adults went out and hunted in a group in a pack because what they were hunting were bison. And I don't know if you've ever seen a bison, but it's freaking huge. <laughs> it is massive. It's 2,000 pounds. And I'm, I'm thinking, how is this 120-pound wolf, 120-pound wolf, which is big, it's a big dog, going to take down a 2,000-pound bison? Well, how do, the, how do bison protect themselves? They stay in a pack. They stay, they stay together. They keep their young in the middle. Because if they're young get on the outside, the wolves can pick them off. I don't know about you, but when I watch any of these videos I, I, or shows, I, I start to I have, I have conflict, I have moral conflict in my mind because I'm thinking, the little pup, the little pup wolves need to eat, but the bison, I want them to win too. So which one do you pull for? Well, you know in a show like this, something's going to happen. So it, sure enough, it does. So it's interesting to watch how these wolves work together they came in, they spooked the herd. The herd started running everywhere, and eventually they lose the, they lose the, the groupness of their, of their body, and they're able to pick off one. One got away. One got off to the side, and the wolves are like, I'm going after that one. So they go after it. They don't all jump on it all at once because that's 2,000 pounds of bison. So what do they do? They keep running, and they keep running, and it starts to get tired and the wolf on the lead, there's only like two or three of them, they just start biting a little bit at its heels, little tiny little bites, because that 120-pound wolf is not going to take down that 2,000-pound bite all at once. But little bites at a time will wear it down. I think it's a great picture of, of where we're living today. The thief will come to kill, steal, and destroy. But if, he walk, if the devil walked in here in a red costume, we'd be like, that's the devil! But if he comes in and he looks like Jesus, he sounds like Jesus, but he's not quite, he's one degree off. It's attrition by a thousand paper cuts. And Paul's warning him here, watch out, stay in the herd. So I ask you, are you coming to church for the motions? If you're in Christ, are you coming and not plugging in? And what are those reasons? I just challenge you this week to, to pray with God about that and meditate. How can you, God, use my talents better? How can I maybe take a, a step out of my comfort zone and plug into the church? But you also may be coming as, as someone who's just seeking and, and wanting to know more about Christ. So here at our church, we just encourage you to, we call it Try Five. Come visit with us for five Sundays. You may be that person who's suffering from that post-traumatic church syndrome. Come and try us for five Sundays. And find a community group and just visit. Just try us out. And let the Holy Spirit do the rest.
So the pathway is not single track, and we're going to talk about our destination of the pathway. Still in verses 2 and 3. Our destination in the, on our pathway, where are we going on this pathway, is personal confidence in maturity. Not just maturity, but have that personal confidence in maturity. What do I mean by confidence? Confidence comes from the certainty of the future or assurance of a good outcome. Confidence also comes from repeated practice. As you're learning a skill, as you develop that skill or get that understanding and the knowledge, you get more confident in the outcome that you can do this. But it also comes from corporate support and encouragement from those around you. Maybe show you a little bit different way to do it. It's okay to play a solo sport, but let somebody come in alongside you and teach you how to play it better. Because Christianity is a, is a team sport. Paul says in verse 2 that their hearts may be encouraged, knitted together in love, so that you may re see the riches of the full assurance of understanding. What he's talking about there is you may have the wealth with full certainty of the understanding. That word is synthesis. So you take all the bits and pieces, and as we come together as a community, and you're learning a little something here, and someone else is learning something here, and you come together and you talk about it, now it starts to fit together like a puzzle. And what was a very small little piece now becomes a beautiful picture. That's what we do as a church together. And sometimes that picture is to show us how do we get through the next thing in life, whatever that is. Because we're going to go through highs and lows. The thief is here to kill, steal, and destroy. Maybe the picture is, whoa, there he is. I didn't see him before. Because someone else put another piece in my puzzle for me. You know, it'd be neat to for us to have this foreknowledge of every, every sports game or whatever it is in life, to know the ending and the score, and you wouldn't have to go through the, the discomfort of not knowing, right? Remember, we don't like discomfort. Well, Heather and I have been, uh, that's my wife Heather, we've been stationed overseas a couple of times, and, and what we find, I've noticed, and every time is, every time we've been overseas, the national things that we have that we celebrate in our country, like the Super Bowl and Major League Baseball and NBA playoffs, or elections, it's always delayed when it goes overseas. So you can find the score. You can find out what happened online immediately, but you're not going to get to see the game until later. So it's funny, a little phenomenon, if you're really into it, if your team's playing, uh, and I've done this where you see people like, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me, I don't want to know, and they hide themselves from the Internet, and they shut their phones off because they, they want to have that experience of going through it and seeing their team become victorious. But just imagine if your team is in the Super Bowl or whatever it is for you, and you know the end of the game. Do you watch it? Well, I think if your team wins, you want to see how they win. Sometimes if you lose, you're like, oh, I don't want to see that. But think about the confidence insurance if you know where God is taking you in your life. I don't know about you guys, but I've read the end of the book. I know the assurance of where I am. Are you? Why are you here? Are you, are you seeking to know that assurance? I'm telling you, today is the day of salvation. You can know that. But also know that God has taken us somewhere, and no matter how many times a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, if you're in the cradle of his hand, he's got you. But it's so much better to have life with him and life more abundantly with each other to get through those difficult times and to get on that mountaintop and celebrate together. Because... I know the end of the, school, the end of the game, but I want to go. Through, I want to go through the glory of it here too. And that might even actually require for us to go through some challenging times. 
some things that are not comfortable. But we know that's when God grows us and stretches us. Throughout history, his church did not grow exponentially through the good times. It was in the dark days when the faith of his people trusted him and he grew and multiplied it. So during those times, have, have faith. So what are we doing on this path? The destination is maturity. The last part of this I want you to see in verses 4 and 5 is the purpose of the pathway. Not only is it to grow us and mature, but as I mentioned a couple of times, it's to prepare us to be ready for the game. Be ready anytime he's going to pull you into the game because, you know, go to the next one. I say this in order no one may delude you. may delude you with plausible arguments. What he's saying there is that we're immersed in this culture with these different ideas that things are going to sound good, they're going to sound close to the truth, or they're going to sound rational. And Paul's telling them, hey, be careful, because the plausible arguments, they're artful. They're artful means of persuasion, and the plausible arguments piece, he uses this very interesting word, and it's the idea of having a parallel logic. It sounds the same, but it's just one step over. And it's going to lead you in a different direction. That path you're on, where you think you're going, you get on this one, it's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go. And we see that with, with, with people around us. If you've been around a while, you can go, Ugh, I wouldn't make that decision, I'd do it differently. Those of us who are a little bit older. So for those of you who are a little bit younger in your faith, come into the group. Help us to keep you on that path. Walk on the path with us. Because you may think you know it all. I used to think that. And now as I'm getting older, I realize the older I get, the more I don't know. And I need you to help me. I had a quote up here. Go, Go to the next one. Vince Lombardi, the great coach, he says that individual commitment to group effort, that is what makes a team work, a company work, a society work, a civilization work. Together, we can work this and we can watch out for the evil one. Be ready for the game. Have confidence. Working towards gaining together as a group that selfish agape love so that we can understand the deep riches of the treasures of knowledge, not hidden, now revealed. It's not come here and do these things and you're going to be enlightened. Now, there may be some revelation from the Holy Spirit, but it's not hidden. Colossae was on this crossroads and so are we. Paul's warning against those influencers that are just a degree off and those half-truths that are incrementally coming to your lives. Before I came here, Heather and I uh, moved here last summer. I was working up in the Pentagon. If you've ever been in the Pentagon, uh, or if you haven't been in the Pentagon, you may have this idea of how cool it is. You get in there, it's all cubicles. It's just a big office building. And I worked in this office. I had a very good friend who worked in this cubicle, and across from him was this senior officer. And there was a there's an aisle between the two of their cubicles. And at the end of that aisle between their cubicles was this very large uh, uh, filing cabinet. And my friend Eric, he's kind of, he's kind of a, a, a clown and a cut-up, a great guy. And he, over a year period, 
he moved that file cabinet 20 inches into the senior officer's cubicle. <laughs> but he didn't do it all at once. It wasn't an overnight he moved it. Every week, every Friday, and we would celebrate it, he would move it one quarter or one eighth of an inch out of his cubicle. A year later, when this senior officer walked to his cubicle and he's having to do like this to get in, never realized it. The day he left the office, we told him. Because we put, a, we put a, a, an ink mark on the carpet where it started. We measured it. It was 20 inches. And when he saw it, he just started dying laughing. But it's such a guilty illustration of how incremental changes in your life can be. You can be slightly off track. And it's deceptive. You never notice it until someone either realizes, shows you, or you end up in a destination you did not want to be in. Paul here is saying, get together because somebody's moving your, your file cabinet and somebody needs to tell you. Let's bring up the last picture. We'll close with this. United in Christ we stand, but divided in our love we're going to fall. The Green Bay Packers went from losing to dominating in one season. What did they do? They realized it was a team sport. They went back to the fundamentals. So we need to grasp those fundamentals. But they didn't stop there. They improved and they grew because they were at the peak. In verse 5, Paul uses some defensive language and he says, I want you to be encouraged, or I'm encouraged, and rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness in the faith. He's talking about defensive language here. So he's talking about grow in Christ, be offensive, stand firm in the faith, know the truth of the gospel. Know the truth that Christ is this mystery, but also stand firm. No defense can be is one person. It's a team sport. So in this, in this picture, are those, are those railroad tracks parallel or do they, they come together? Who says parallel? Raise your hand. Let's do a survey. Who says they're parallel? Who says they come together at, at, at the end? All the young people, well, that guy. All the young people say they, they come together. It's an optical illusion. They don't come together. It's just perspective because they're way far away. But if you didn't know that, if you've never seen a railroad track, you'd be like, yeah, they do. But those of us who've been on a train or been on a railroad track or been in lo both locations way down there at the beginning, we know they're the same distance apart. They have to be because the train, tr the train wheels are exactly the same distance apart. Some of you know what it is. It's like four feet and whatever. If those train tracks get off just a little bit, what happens? If you, get, if, you, if you lay the left track one degree off, the train's going to roll for a little while, but somewhere down the line, a mile or so, it's going to derail because that train track is going to slip out underneath the wheels. But you will never be able to see. It will look just like that. The thief will kill, steal, and destroy, but he does it incrementally, very small movements. So where are you? What's reality to you? Well, the truth of the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, come together and get the confidence and the assurance in Christ. Back to Vince Lombardi. He's through all this whole thing, if you haven't noticed. 
He says, confidence is contagious, but so is a lack of confidence. So which one are you? Let's pray.